We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest has jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to Tuesday, March 26th edition of the Rotoware NBA podcast sponsored by FanDuel. Of course, my name is Joe Bartle. Alongside me, as always, is Alex Google Me Barutha, and we're going to go over the 10 game slate uh, for Tuesday's action. I mean, this is one of the deeper slates that we've had since we've been doing this podcast. Right. Um, at, I mean, we've both kind of discussed it on air before. I'm more of a smaller slate kind of guy, at least that's when I succeed the most. But 10 games does present a bit of value as far as. Um, well, cheaper alternatives that you could use, like we'll get a little bit foreshadowing, but your lineup actually has almost all 7,000 players except for one person. So there's definitely an opportunity for uh, some value really to be had for a lot of these smaller players. Yeah, I think so. And when you consider, you know, how, yeah, how big the slate is, ownership percentages can be dr- drastically low for certain players. That's kind of how I decided to, to build my lineup this time around, just chase some guys who I don't think will have high ownership rates and i know they're good players and hopefully things you know the ball bounces their way well you talked about drastically low ownership rates and i think that's actually a good uh, transition point to what i really was gonna be our first bit of news and 
It is a playoff of March Madness. Of course, we had the first two rounds occur this past weekend, and we can go on and on and probably spend 15 minutes talking about this being one of the best times, I think, sport-wise in the entire calendar year. But specifically for this NBA podcast, I thought there was a number of prospects, and I know this is more of Nick Whalen and James Anderson's turf that we're kind of getting or encroaching on right now. Right. I thought there's a number of prospects that really did well for themselves in those first two games. Um, and we could talk about Zion, obviously, and it's so easy to talk about him. He's number one draft prospect, I think, probably for many people, but uh, at least for DraftNet, which we'll be using for uh, this conversation. Like, I mean, there isn't, there isn't a lot that can be said that hasn't already been said about Zion at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think that he is cementing himself as the consensus number one pick. Um, and just even despite the fact that he doesn't, I mean, he's a pretty atypical prospect, doesn't really shoot the three that well, doesn't really project as a great three point shooter, especially when you consider his, his free throw percentage uh, is relatively low at 65%. Usually that's what people use to determine whether or not a person will be a good three point shooter in the NBA. But, you know, we just know, I mean, he's an absolute freak of nature from an athletic standpoint. He's a guy who shoots 68% from the field, which is ridiculous. Um, I think I it would be, I don't know what the odds are. I, I feel like I heard the odds for him being the number one pick was like minus 1,000. Well, they, they tried to make a case, at least on the CBS broadcast, that Zion wasn't guaranteed number one. That actually John ja, ja Morant, who destroyed our beloved Marquette Golden Eagles uh, in the first round. Well, they're still the Golden Eagles, right? I'm sure. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, they're not Alex's <laughs> beloved Marquette. Uh, they are just mine, and I am all things Wisconsin fandom. But he had a triple double in that first round upset win. I think you can kind of call it an upset. Really, a lot of people are expecting them to beat Marquette. That was one of three five uh, five twelve seeds where the twelve seed ended up winning. He had a triple double. That was only the ninth time in March Madness history that's occurred. And there's a case to be made that Morant could be the number one pick. I don't. I don't see it. Um, and I. Frankly, I'm not a huge college basketball guy, but I've watched enough to know that what Zion can do just translates so much better to the NBA. And that's not even a knock on Morant. Like, this guy is a, a stringy six foot two guard that can get wherever, but also has the vision that uh, not a lot of people at his age really have at his position. So I think both are, are quality picks at the top end. And even uh, Barrett, too, for Duke, who's kind of the second fiddle, but really the leading scorer for Duke, uh, is number three. This is This is about as lock of a top three draft that i can really recall in recent memory i I don't know do you do you feel like there's a draft that comes to mind where you feel confident about all three players going in the first three picks i remember the um that like jabari parker uh joel Embiid, andrew wiggins draft that felt pretty um that felt pretty cut and dry to me at the time the 2014 draft um yeah when wiggins parker and bead that that's the last I remember being like a complete lock. Um, fourth pick well, in that draft Wiggins, was Aaron Wiggins Gordon. Wiggins wasn't expected to go number one necessarily. It was kind of a debate between Parker and Wiggins because really we got word from Jabari that he wanted to come to Milwaukee, and that was more of a, oh, wow, I can't believe a guy of this talent and this caliber is willing to play in Milwaukee. And that was before Giannis became what we know Giannis to be now. Exactly. And, yeah, I'm kind of flipping through the drafts now. I don't – I mean – Markel Fultz was basically a I won't say a consensus number one, but there was there was definitely talk that he would probably be the number one pick in the draft. And obviously that was, you know, two years ago. Um yeah, I this this past year, last year was there was some toss up, obviously, some 
um, some debate, especially when it came to like Trey Young, the DeAndre and Luka Doncic thing. So I don't think there was a consensus top three. So I would turn back to 2014 as the last time there may have been a consensus top three or even top two. That's probably a good example. And I'm not even going to say that this draft uh, is as deep as what we saw last year. Like I think last year there's more quality players, even in the uh, number 12, 13, 14 range than we've seen in recent memory for a while now. Like that, That's going to be a pretty good draft and one a lot of people felt confident um, would provide a lot of value for teams. But this draft, I, I felt better about it watching those first two rounds. And that's not fair to place an entire draft and its importance on the NBA on just two rounds of college basketball. But I felt pretty good about some of the mid-tier prospects, even guys that even weren't projected to be taken at all. Like there's guys like Nas Reed, who uh, for LSU, he had some impressive moves against Yale. He's a number 19 pick, at least according to uh, NBA draft net as of March 15th. That was two weeks ago. I wouldn't be surprised if he shoots up closer to the uh, 12, 13, 14 range based off of his rebounding entirely. Like what he was able to do as far as uh, commanding the glass, that that was impressive against a Yale team that was, for the most part, um, pretty good rebounding throughout the year. And I know the, you know, the teams that they're playing against when we're talking about some of those, uh, you know, <laughs> those teams like Yale. I, I just, right. I understand. I, I don't know. I thought he had a really good showing. And then even a guy like Jarrett Culver, who was number 11, again, March 15th, he had 29 points, eight rebounds in the first round, and then posted a double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds against Buffalo in round two. And that Buffalo squad, a lot of people are expecting them to maybe be an upset making into the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, Naz Reedy is like basically top 10 um, in his conference in you know rebounds, rebound percentage. So, I mean, that's something, you know, rebounding is always valuable in the NBA. Exactly. Um, and so it kind of just comes down to whether or not, you know, he's a 35% three point shooter. It's like, is he going to play center in the NBA? Uh, there's, there's tough questions. He's not much of a defender, like steals blocks wise, doesn't at least rack up too many numbers. So, but I'm blanking on the name, but he reminds me a lot of uh, the guy that was on the nuggets. Now went to the Rockets as far as a smaller power forward. Oh, like for Reed. Uh, yeah. Kenneth. Yeah. Kenneth. Fareed. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh, I always have to think of 30 rock when I go. That <laughs> yeah. Kenneth free. I mean, like he's a bigger version of that and more explosive, I think around the rim, whereas for Reed, you're not expecting too many dunks or anything like that. I think Reed could do something like that. I wouldn't be surprised again, if he makes it into lottery round, but there was a couple of other prospects that really were projected to go like late second round, uh, late for maybe not even drafted at all that I think have made a case that they could be considered the back end of the first round. Like first comes to mind, Peyton Pritchard. And we talked off air about how you did not want to watch Wisconsin uh, get upset again as another 12-5 seed. And I don't blame you because they have looked kind of bad and they looked really bad this past week. He had 19 points, five rebounds, eight assists, and then followed up against the UC Irvine squad that I thought was going to be an easy Sweet 16 lock just because of how bad the Badgers were. He had 18 points, four rebounds, seven assists. That's a guy that probably wasn't going to get drafted, and now I wouldn't be surprised if he is maybe maybe late first round is tough to imagine given his his height and weight. But I could very well see him being a mid-round, second-round selection because of what he did literally in just those two contests alone. I mean, we should have seen it coming with the, you know, the 2018-19 preseason Wogan Award. Uh, this shouldn't be a surprise. Right. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for him, it'll, I think it'll just come down to if he can score efficiently in the NBA. Um, 42% from the field and 33% from three on five attempts isn't great. Thankfully, he's a good free throw shooter. Um, you know, but at the same time, you, if you can't score efficiently in the NBA, I mean, that's a huge priority these days. Um, if you've, he, I guess you project out as a point guard. Um, yes, I, yeah, no, he would have to be. And I wouldn't even be, 
I have to imagine he's going to be like a sixth, seventh, eighth man kind of point guard. Even if you're taking him, like that's your that's your hopeful projection with him being a mid second round pick right. when he come out. But I think I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I guarantee you, Carson Edwards goes at the end of the first round. He had 42 points against Villanova, who last year won the whole darn March Madness, uh, and that was to get into the Sweet 16. He was nine of 16 from three point in that game. The game before, he scored 26 points. This is a guy that uh, NBA DraftNet had the 41st pick in their mock draft. Guarantee you he goes higher than that. Like, you drop 42 points against the defending national champions of Villanova, go 9 of 16 from three-point line, that makes a difference. I think that makes a big difference to a lot of scouts out there. Yeah, I mean, we know we know we can get buckets. I mean, almost 20 field goal attempts a game, 24 points a game, gets to the free throw line. I mean, that's a huge thing that, that translates the at the NBA the level. 10. Yeah, and, you know, taking, even though he wasn't great from the three-point line, he took, takes 10 threes a game. Um, and just a guy who can launch up that many threes and still be moderately efficient. I mean, you're talking about modern NBA. That's a huge skill to have. A guy who clearly doesn't get tired from shooting the ball. And so, you know, the 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 main thing that's going to come down, I think, for him is he's not really a passer. He averages more turnovers than assists. <laughs> I mean, more turnovers than assists is, a, is an issue. The 1.4 steals is fine, so he makes up for it a little bit. But when you're 6'1", 200, and you aren't a great passer, you, you kind of get, you're going to get locked into this six-man hot hand off, you know, kind of off the bench roll. And... When I think of guys like that, I start to get like real worried. I get like Malik Monk flashbacks um, about people. He'll be the next Lou Williams because he can score off the bench. It's like, well, maybe. I think scoring always always has a place though in the NBA. It like, does. If you can score, you're going to make an impact, whether it be on the bench uh, as a six man starter, whatever. Like I just I, that that's a value, and that's that's valued commodity a lot. Like we talk about guys that are tall that can shoot. I think guys that just can score and score in droves is a huge aspect that. NBA teams always seem to I mean, think overvalue is probably fair to say. I mean, they overvalue scoring, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about will he have an impact in there? And I think his mid-second round draft at least two weeks ago, that's that's gone out the window. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, you yeah, when you when you put up great performances against great teams, the NCAA tournament, especially in a draft that's, you know, really, really top heavy, mm-hmm. you can start climbing up the leaderboard or the, the draft boards like crazy. Yeah, you can call it leaderboard. That's fine. Leaderboard. <laughs> Well, let's get to some actual NBA news. Of course, I think the conversation has to begin and probably end, at least for Monday's uh, action, with Nurkic's, I think it's fair to say, pretty nasty leg injury. I mean, that's a compound fracture. Um, that was definitely what occurred. I mean, like, uh, right. we, Damian Lillard had talked after the, broad, or after the game how that reminded him of Paul George's injury in USA Basketball. I had watched the video of Nurkic because I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, it did. It, it looked like that. And what's worse, the referee actually steps on his leg. I'm not sure if you saw the broadcast. I heard about it. I wasn't going to watch it a second time to see it. I, I saw the, the – I, all I watched was the initial angle, like the first TV angle. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm good. I don't need any replays. I don't need to, I don't need to see the alternate angle. That's yeah, so. I I just for some whatever the reason I always am diving probably too far into those things than I should. <laughs> I, I feel bad for Nurkic because he was having a fantastic game in particular. He'll he'll probably make or yeah, I'm pretty sure he made the uh, top three at least for um, stats, rebounds, and assists when we talk about top three performances a little bit later in the podcast. But he really was having a great season overall, and I think this is a huge detriment to the Trailblazers' chances at really making some noise in the Western Conference 
playoffs. Like it, it's it's difficult. It really is. Yeah, he was having. I'm pretty sure you could just claim. Yeah, best season of his career. I mean, I don't really think. I don't think it's close. It's not really close. You can argue maybe when he when he came to Portland the first time he was having. We we played the second half of the 2016-17 season in Portland, but uh, this year, yeah, he was averaging basically 16 and 10, three assists, combined 2.4 steals and blocks, and established himself for as what the Blazers needed, which yes. was a third player. I mean, you know, they they only got so far, and you could only get so far with McCollum and Lillard, so he was a legit third option. And now with him gone, that leaves a huge hole in their team because, like, a lot of people are high on Zach Collins. I get it. I'm not as high on him as other people are. They at least got Ennis Cantor um, in the buyout market. Yeah, that looks like a shrewd move now at the time, doesn't it? Yeah, that looks really good now. Um, But this is going to be – this just sucks for them because they were going into the playoffs looking like they could make some noise this year. And maybe they still can, depending on their matchup. But it's really just an unfortunate way to to kind of close things out in the regular season for them. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit more – Nurkic being out is really difficult for him personally. I, mean, I imagine he's probably going to miss at least some of next season too. Maybe he has some Karis Levert black magic that occurs and he can make the beginning of next season, but that seems unlikely. So now we're talking about a guy like Zach Collins, uh, maybe a Myers Leonard that have to step up. But really, I think it depends solely on how Cantor is able to perform. And he was a center for the Thunder. That was pretty good. Knicks, when he actually got minutes, pretty good. Whether he can... Uh, really fit into what the trailblazers offense is currently is going to be i think one of the hot button topics for the western conference playoffs and i think that's hands down one of the biggest impacts at least for the next couple weeks yeah i mean he for him i think it's all about defense if he can because we know he can score like there's been no question about can angus Cantor score the ball if you give it to him in the post it's just a matter of you know can he play the same type of interior defense as Nurkic was able to like your initial thought is probably not um but maybe Portland you know coach Terry Stotts this is a huge test for coach Stotts as well how we adjust on the fly of the situation especially because you have CJ McCollum coming back from injury right he's probably going to be rusty so maybe they will try to go into more of a you know essentially a five out offense spread the floor just let Damon CJ work you know, essentially one-on-one with five sh- or four shooters around them, kind of like the Bucks run or like the Rockets run. I don't really know what their other options are. I can't imagine that's going to work against a team like Utah or something like that. It just it just seems like a difficult proposition. Um, yeah, I, I, it's disappointing. I, the, the leg injury sucks. It sucks that it happened to a player that really was performing at his peak um, and certainly hope that Nurkic comes back healthy, but able to kind of continue to do what he was able to do and just it, it all together sucks i think uh and i'm disappointed i'm not even a trailblazers fl- fan but i i was excited to see what that team could do in the playoffs and i feel like it's been their their chance has been shot before it even started yeah that is what it feels like yeah i mean when you talk about terry stotts we'll go to another former bucks coach first before we talk a little bit about devin booker's i guess you could say heroics um but jason kidd evidently has a renewed focus and i will put that as quote unquote as i can with my voice renewed focus (laughs) he said monday that he'd like to get back to coaching at any sort of level of course there's been a lot of talk about him maybe taking over at his alma mater california as the head coach however adrian wardnowski noted that kid may be among the candidates for the lakers job if and when luke walton is dismissed uh yeah (laughs) i mean I, I honestly didn't think the Lakers could handle their team situation any worse 
And Jason Kidd taking over as the head coach would literally be as bad of a plan as you could put together, I think. Yeah, it's the whole the situation is just strange. Like Jason Kidd kind of just like comes out of the woodwork. He's like, well, <laughs> I have a renewed focus. Yeah, Alex, yeah I mean, I on. see, you know, you know, what Coach Bugenholzer did with the Bucks, turned them into the best team in the league. I, you know, maybe I could have done some things differently. I think I'm going to look back at the tape. Maybe I was wrong, did a couple things wrong, but I'm good now. Thought about it for a long time. I'm going to coach LeBron James. I think I deserve that. <laughs> I and and Magic Johnson and Rob Polinko, they probably think I deserve it too. For what reason? I'm not quite because I have renewed focus. Right, he has renewed focus. I just it's baffling to me. The one thing Jason Kidd was good at, and there really was only one thing as far as being coached, was that he could get along with the star players. Like, Giannis still adores Jason Kidd to this day. So maybe LeBron ends up fitting well with Kidd. But you look at the history of coaches that LeBron has had, all of them are pushovers, right? I mean, but that's not, that's not fair to say. <laughs> but we can kind of go back a little bit. This does not seem like it would be a good dynamic at all because Kidd is not a pushover. He's not going to just take LeBron's word for what needs to be coached and what doesn't. And that that's concerning to me. I don't think kid can get the most defensive uh, intensity out of LeBron as other coaches could. I'm not sure anybody could at this point. Like I think the Lakers coaching job is a really, really difficult one. I yeah. can guarantee you kid is not the person that's best suited for that kind of role though. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. When you, I mean, LeBron's history of coaches, I mean, with the Cavs, it was basically Mike Brown for the first, you know, the first stint, um, and it's not fair to call Brown a pushover. I understand that. But I just felt like the direction that the Cavs took was more LeBron's word than Mike Brown's word. Would you say that's fair? Sure. No. And then David Blatt, like, you know, got fired after going 30 and 11 uh, when LeBron James came back the first year. And then Ty Lue in 27 and 14, but they won the finals. So everyone's like, sure. Um, and yeah, I, I just... Uh, Eric Spolstra, obviously a really good coach in Miami. Yeah. But even there, I mean, all the stories you hear out of there was like LeBron tried to go to Pat Riley and be like, you want to coach this team? And Riley was like, no, Spolstra is your coach. So like even in that situation, LeBron wasn't a big fan of Spolstra. And yeah, I mean, kid seems like a person. I mean, he basically did try to force his way into management in Brooklyn, which is why he got traded, which is why he got traded to the Bucks. Right. So I I mean, that... I think, but he has a renewed uh, focus. Yeah, he's so, renewed. <laughs> great, cool. I don't think there can be more of a boneheaded decision by an organization that has a talent like LeBron James, and LeBron James is absolutely still a talent and still among one of the best players in the NBA. That that is handicapping your NBA chances or your NBA championship chances before they even begin. In my opinion, I just don't know who you're attracting to come to the Lakers via free agency when Jason Kidd's your head coach. Like, I don't know what players are looking at Jason Kidd at this point being like, I, like, he doesn't, his pedigree is not good. He does not have a good track record. Would LeVar Ball be excited about that trade? <laughs> no, I'm I'm genuinely asking that because, of course, he's one of the greatest point guards of all time. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that about Kidd. So you would think he'd be able to make his son a super competent point guard. Like he did for Michael Carter-Williams. Right. Right, exactly. Right. I, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I and I. So now I try to think. Okay, is somebody else pushing this narrative, and why? Why would anybody be pushing the narrative that kid goes to the Lakers? Like, who benefits the most from that? And I still keep thinking it's kid. He's the only person. 
the only person who that really works out well for. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, it may be a situation of there's no one else out there. And if kid, you know, if kid, if, if kid knows that Luke Walton's getting fired, right. and that's like 95% of certainty. And he looks around at the other potential candidates and goes, there's no other real candidates for this job. I'm going to just put my hat in the ring. Cause like, it's my best chance because who are they going to hire if they fire Luke Walton? I, yeah. I have no well, idea I mean, personally. That's, that's true. I mean, a guy like Dwayne Casey, I mean, again, it's hindsight's 2020, but he was available this off season, this past off season. That would have made a lot more sense if they really were willing to give up on Walton after one season with LeBron. I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on from the Lakers. I just, it'll be very interesting off season and already was going to be, but it'll be an even more interesting off season in Tinseltown. Uh, yeah. Devin Booker's heroics. And I also put that in quotes with my voice as best <laughs> I can. He scored 59 points. Yippee. That's awesome. He However, he became the first player in NBA history with 50 points in a game in which his team lost by 30 or more. Mm-hmm. You should just, at Sugar Hat, you should be pulled before that happens. Like, you How should many run. shots did he attempt? I actually don't know. Uh, I'll look quickly. Uh, that's that's uh, the, the Suns are playing for nothing, right? I mean, they're they're one of the worst teams in the NBA. We already we already knew that. We knew that entering the season that was going to happen. Besides the Knicks and Cavs, um, this was kind of what it was going to be. But that's disappointing, I think, at a number of levels. You want to be synonymous with history making opportunities, but perhaps not in this kind of light. No, he took 34 shots. And actually, that's not that's bad. Not bad. I was just, no, because <laughs> he took 17 free throws. He was 16 of 17 from the three, uh, free throw line, 5 of 8 from 3. So he did. He had a good game, um, but getting blown up by 30, I'm not sure you should be in the game for 41 minutes. Well, it was just to get him points, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the whole reason why he was out there to begin with. They've paid him so much money, they might as well try to make him look like a hero as far as how he's scoring. Yeah, I mean, we know Devin Booker can score. I like he's that's little, he did the same thing against the Celtics. Sure. Yeah. Well, well you're getting upset that he's playing 40 plus minutes, but what do the Suns really like? Who would you put in there? And are we trying to figure out what young prospects they might have? Like, come on, like this isn't. The, I don't. They are. They have 15 young prospects. We don't. We don't need to go ahead and look at like what other one scrubby guy can't make their roster. I just don't. I why ju- not just let him go play 40 minutes? I mean, it, to me, it just comes down to an issue of like, what if he got hurt? That's yeah. always my concern. It's like, well, okay, so we threw him out there because we're down by 30 and we want to make the fans feel good and we want to make Devin feel good. So we're going to let him go for 60. We're going to play him 41 minutes and then he pulls his hamstring and he's out for like a year. Like, he's going to be out with a year for a pulled hamstring? Well, torn hamstring oh, or something. Okay, I mean, yeah. this is what happened with like Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon when Jason Kidd played him, you know, 39 minutes a game and then yeah. had him on double, you know, had him practice on back to backs and stuff like that. Um, so I just it's not necessary like for him to be out there 41 minutes it's worth pointing out that devin booker tyler johnson kelly Oubre, mikhail uh bridges and deandre ayton that starting five is actually plus 5.7 per 100 possessions so like for as bad as the record is there's at least hope would you say there's a building blocks there's something that's happening in phoenix that isn't just bad basketball i suppose i mean i should clarify i i'm giving Booker a lot of crap here. Maybe not. I'm not even giving Booker crap. He's out there for you're, 41 you're, minutes. Yeah, it's the coach. It's like I, I don't like the coaching decision. Booker's a good player. Um, and they have been playing well since you know the trade deadline. I like some of the pieces they have. I don't think Tyler Johnson's a long-term no. solution. Neither do I. Um, I still have mixed feelings about Kelly Oubre. 
I mean, he's, he's shown like upside as a defender. He's shown he can score the ball, not necessarily efficiently, even with the Suns. Um, I'm a huge Mikael Bridges fan. I think he's just a complete glue guy, you know, a great defender, great three-point shooter. Aiton's a good player as well. Probably makes some all-star games. So for them, yeah, like hitting, I don't think they're attracting any free agents, probably. So hitting on a draft pick could be huge for them. I mean, if they end up with like the number two overall pick and they actually get a point guard, they actually get John Morant, or they happen to fall into the number one pick and they get Zion, um, that could be huge for them because they, at this point, they do have established good pieces, um, Booker and Aiden, obviously, and then they have just some solid role players mm-hmm. now. Despite, even if you're not that high on Kelly Oubre like me, um, he's still a good role player and someone that if you have him, you know, as your sixth best player uh moving forward you can make some things happen see and i disagree on the fact that they can't get free agents would you have ever thought they would be in contention to get trevor ariza when they did does he count no i'm just like even a guy like ariza who's chasing a championship or we thought signs with phoenix in a one-year deal like i wouldn't have thought that'd be possible you date yourself a little bit more I wouldn't have thought they'd be in contention for tyson chandler when he was still an upper echelon free agent i actually think the environment there the the fact that they have such passionate fans the warm weather and i think the the lack of taxes too like that all has been contributing to getting players that for as bad as they have been for as long as they have been it's surprising me they sign anybody at all yeah i mean the the ariza thing i think is complicated he just wanted money they gave him like a one-year 14 million dollar right. deal they could they could still do that now they could but that's so like okay so jimmy butler of course is gonna go back to philadelphia we think we assume sure but let's just say like butler it doesn't work out the the 76ers losing the first round we talked about the last podcast to the celtics they say f it we're not going to bring him back anymore i could i I mean i could see a guy like him again chasing the money why not go i I actually think that's not the worst place in the world i would rather ready for this are you ready for this i'm ready i would rather go to phoenix than i would the knicks I would, and I'm not a clout chaser. I don't really care about the impact of the franchise and everything else like that. If you make it in New York, I'll make it in where blah, 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 blah. I would rather go to Phoenix than I would New York. I won't disagree with that. I mean, the only, Damn, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. No, I mean, you're only <laughs> your reason for going to New York. And it's actually anybody's reason for going to New York at this point is just to be the guy who saved New York. So if you care about being the guy who saved something right. or being the guy who, you know, just that essentially then you go to new york if you care about warm weather and more functional basketball then you probably go to phoenix and yeah if they i mean if they land the you know if they land the number one pick and they get zion i think maybe then yeah then they do potentially become a free agent destination i think even the number two i think people are going to want to play for moran like i i honestly i I think willing passer for I, sure helps. Yeah, he and I mean that skill set he's already displayed. He can score, he can get to the rim. He probably needs to bulk up a little bit. Like if you're supposed to knock the number two pick, basically, uh, that that's probably how I describe it. But I don't know. I I don't think it's that it's that awful a place. I think the ownership is maybe the part you'd be frustrated about. But if you look right. at some of those really bad teams, that's literally the same problem across the board. Like the Knicks, bad ownership. Right. Cleveland, not well. I mean, kind of bad ownership, but uh, at least you have a pass- passionate owner. I don't know. I just that's an interesting conversation. I think, and we can get that or get to it when it gets closer to the off season. Um, 
Yeah, so we'll get to the best and worst performances from Monday. We kind of talked about it a little bit with Nurkic and Booker, but before we really dive into that, if you're like me, you wake up in the morning with brain fog, feeling lazy, confused, certainly tired, and your job and my jobs, plural, because I do so many things here at RotoWare, uh, require me to be on top of everything. But my mind often slows down, attention drifts, your memory fails. Start looking at my fantasy base, uh, baseball roster before I really should be. Opening day. Got to wrap up for DFS. Can't wait for that. There is a pretty good contest on FanDuel available right now. little plug. Hmm. I'm going on the plug. Uh, coffee doesn't work all the time. Prescription meds certainly have failed me. Leave you jittery and lack of sleep. Worst of all, it keeps happening to you when you need to be at the top of your game. Lucky for you, Omnit has the answer. With a team of scientists and researchers, uh, took the best earth-grown botanicals and created a one-of-a-kind cognitive answer called Alpha Brain. It could be the solution you have been looking for. Alpha Brain works, and it's been clinically studied to help healthy individuals support memory, focus, and processing speeds, and is made from normal ingredients found in nature. And for a limited time, Onnit is giving you the chance to try Alpha Brain for free. You just have to pay for shipping. If you're not satisfied, you can keep the bottle, and Onnit will give you a full refund. You don't even have to call. No hoops, no catch, nothing. It's as easy as it can possibly be. Entirely risk-free with a 100% money-back guarantee. Go to onnit.com slash rotowire and try today. All right, so using Basketball References Game Score, which takes into account all the box score stats, including percentages, we've kind of put together the top three best performances and worst three best performances. I guess worst three worst performances, right? Like, come on, we, don't, we need best. Performance. We've already talked about Booker: fifty-nine points, four rebounds, four assists, one steal, forty-one minutes of junk time action. Nurkic before that horrible injury: thirty-two points, sixteen rebounds, five assists, four blocks, two steals. The final guy, Rudy Gobert: twenty-seven points, ten rebounds, two blocks, in just twenty-eight minutes. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. It's a Jazz team that I'm frankly excited to watch get to the Western Conference playoffs and see what they can do. I'm too. They're exciting. They're a fun team. I think people don't perceive them as fun because they're more defensive oriented, but you have Donovan Mitchell, explosive player, Ruby Gobert, defense player of the year candidate. I like Ricky Rubio, um, despite all his faults. So they're a fun team. I like Ingles too. Like, Ingles I mean, is great. Yeah. He looks like the prototypical, prototypical guy that you see at the YMCA, yep. but yet he's playing at an efficient NBA level and it just is outstanding to me. Yeah. Uh, some of the worst three performances, unfortunately, your boy, Mikhail Bridges, one point zero five from shooting, four rebounds, one assist, one steal. He played 32 minutes. He scored one point. He's not a scorer. <laughs> I will say that. If Good he, glue guy gets one point. I, yeah, he's a glue guy. He'll take he, if he, you know, if he averages. That's what you want to spend your lottery picks on. He, if he shoots five threes a game and three twos, I'm completely fine with that. I think he's but I I was in the camp when they drafted him that he'd be better than Josh Jackson that who they already had and drafted right. higher and you know they're drastically different players they're both supposed to be great defenders he's not a volume scorer by any means and that's not what they need him to be they have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Kelly Oubre and probably Jimmy Butler <laughs> that would be really interesting <laughs> it won't happen I know it won't happen he's going back to the 76ers after they lose in the first round of the Celtics it's gonna happen mm. Jeremy Grant seven points three of eight shooting two rebounds two rebounds in 24 minutes and another 76er guy JJ Redick eight points on two of 10 shooting two assists 29 minutes is Redick also a free agent this offseason or is it next year I, I, I believe it's forget. this year they have of course um Tobias Harris Jimmy Butler but I feel like they're I think Redick is the third guy that could potentially be um gone from that philadelphia team he is a free agent he's making 12.2 this year uh and yeah he'll be a free agent so i'm sure they'll do everything they can to keep him um they might prioritize keeping him over jimmy butler depending on the money but we'll see and he seems to like philadelphia too like he's been oh everyone uh, loves him yeah and he loves a positive veteran influence like i don't know i could 
there's a they're not going to be able to keep all three of those players. I just don't believe that's going to happen. They keep all three and then also sign Ben Simmons to a, a ridiculous deal. It just doesn't seem likely at all for me. So I'm I'm expecting one of those guys, despite what the Philadelphia's owner wants to say, one of those guys is not going to be back next year. It will be. I mean, I like the team in theory. It's just honestly, in my opinion, it comes down to what you have to pay Jimmy Butler to keep him, given his age, given his injury history. Um, yeah, I think there's there's other decisions you would prioritize. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I want to touch on the FanDuel perfect lineup before we really dive into more of the DFS aspect for Tuesday's ten game slate. So yesterday, Monday. We had Damian Lillard at 10,600. He had a 59, he had 59 points, uh, FanDuel points, I should say. He played 48 minutes in that game. That Michael Carter-Williams guy that you just mentioned earlier, he had 10 times value. He had 35 points. He was at 3,500. He scored 15. He had two steals, six rebounds, three assists, and a block. I'm sure he will be a popular play tonight because he they're playing again. So back-to-back, he's 3,500 still. I'm not convinced at all. That was against Philadelphia. I don't think lightning will strike. That's a revenge game. Michael Carlin's kind of like 36 revenge games. There's only 30 teams in the (laughs) NBA, but he can have 36 revenge games. That doesn't count. That does not count. D'Angelo Russell had uh, 58 Fando points. He had 9,100 salary entering the game, but he he scored 39 points and also had six turnovers. He was one of two people with six turnovers. The other guy, Devin Booker, who, of course, scored 59 points because – they left. They let Alex go ahead and coach him. He played 41 minutes. Uh, the two years away from being two years away, Bruno boy, 4,000, but he had 4,500 Fanduel points. Or Wow, that's too many. That's he had 45 <laughs> Fanduel points at a 4,000 salary. He played 35 minutes, scored 24 points against the Thunder. Jared Dudley, another minimum-priced guy at the small forward spot, he scored 31 Fanduel points based off of 15, score, or 15 actual points and five rebounds. Derek Favors, 6,800. He had a 41 Fanduel points and we had zach collins slotting at 19.8 fandle points um I, frankly it was probably gets nurkic in there at 8400 he had 75 fandle points before he went down with that injury that was a double overtime game and i think yeah that that's how that ended up happening yeah it was a f- i think it was a four game slate um it was a four game slate so four game slate situations are you can get lucky like you can almost stack one game and hope it goes in overtime hope it you know completely blows through the over under and and this is this is what you end up with like half your te- half your fan duel lineup is is from this game yeah and those 433 points for the perfect lineup i imagine that won't be the case for tuesday's 10 game slate but before we kind of get more of alex's thoughts on the 10 game slate itself uh fantasy basketball fans the nba regular season is nearing its end it's very very close but it doesn't mean your fantasy basketball season is coming too close fanduel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball no matter what you're looking for fanduel is something for everyone tons of different contests and formats to choose from starting at just 25 cents just pick a contest choose your team and enjoy watching your results in real time like i mean we've been talking about a little bit of the march madness stuff i've been actually participating in the uh well double a side of the bracket ncaa side of FanDuel, and while i haven't had a lot of success i know plenty around the office have been of course if you would watch more than two games you'd probably have a chance at it too (laughs) (laughs) that's true i will say i'll take this opportunity to plug uh i think it was today it came out the royal warrior fantasy baseball podcast did a kind of a prepper on if you if you're new to daily fantasy it was jordan cooper and andrew laird um did a dfs baseball podcast it was a really good listen it's about an hour long um and a lot of the stuff cooper kind of you know takes can not takes control but he leads the podcast through talks about his strategies he plays a lot of dfs 
And a lot of his concepts apply to multiple sports, Mm -hmm. NBA, NFL, hockey, soccer, what have you. So um, if you're looking to play on FanDuel, if you're looking to get into baseball, I will say I'll plug our own other podcast. Yeah, I'm a company man. Roguewire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It was a great listen. Um, so if you're looking to play on FanDuel, it's a way to... Laird almost had a fantastic March Madness bet going, too. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. On Thursday, round one of March Madness, he had a couple of different things go his way, and it was almost a $300 profit on a $10 wow. bet. Yes. Unfortunately, Duke decided to just not play its starters for the mm. last five minutes, and that ended up costing him. But that was for four games. It was a parlay of monumental proportions frankly <laughs> nearly had a chance of capitalizing on that that was pretty excellent well of course on FanDuel, you can play against your friends for breaking rights or play against the public for millions in cash prizes to take advantage of our special offer for new users sign up today at fanduel.com slash rw you'll get a free six-month rotowire subscription with your first deposit on fanduel and that includes uh, dfs lineup optimizers weekly rankings premium articles full season draft software that's a big big thing for baseball right now and i will say it louder because it's more important and of course there's a lot more going on so just visit fanduel.com slash rw void where prohibited let's talk about the 10 game slate we're going to have some high price guys obviously Giannis at 12,400 against harden frankly who's 12,000 against the bucks right and then you have carl anthony towns 11,800 against the clippers that I think that I checked and there's probably seven or eight guys over ten thousand on the slate. There might even be more. I, I guess I kind of quickly perused it. Right. It's a it's a big slate for sure. Um wow, yeah. Um I could count right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. One See, of them's out, one of them's Kyrie, and he's not playing. Okay, then I then I feel better. Math is not always my strong suit. Um and quick math is even worse. But yeah. right. so, so eight over 10,000 plus guys the highest and lowest over unders uh, we had the Hawks and Pelicans at 242 that looks to be a promising matchup given all the Pelican guys that could end up getting thrown out there at any given time right and yeah I mean there's there's guys who are questionable Alfred Payton might not play Anthony Davis is supposed to play with a back injury he's probable but would it shock me if he was ruled out no um, so that's definitely a matchup to to keep your eyes on. On the slower side of things, Magic and Heat are just projected at 204 and a half. We had the Bulls and Raptors. Raptors are a 13 and a half point favorite, whereas the Hawks and Pelicans, that's almost a toss up. We I think it's favoring the Pelicans by one. It is. Yeah. So I mean that That'll be a popular game. Yes. To stack. Yeah. Yes, I imagine it will be. But that kind of leads us to I think what the first question will be John Collins seventy nine hundred at that power forward spot or Marvin Bagley at 7,700 against the Mavericks. I actually like Marvin Bagley here. Um, I don't think that the Mavericks have the front line to contain Bagley and Collins hasn't been playing a full complement of minutes lately all the time. There's a lot. You look at his game logs, it'd be like 29, 28. And that worries me despite the fast pace of the game. If Anthony Davis does play, um that's a tough matchup um i think and part of it is if you want to do a little bit of game theory if you're playing a gpp everyone's going to be on collins well that's That's my view so i think you can get similar upside pivot on the ownership save yourself it's only 200 dollars. save yourself some money check out bagley instead that i wonder if it's almost smarter especially with how many other games you have the option for you know people are going to be on this Hawks-Pelicans game. Oh, There's yeah. nine other games that you can choose from. I wonder if it's just better, if, especially in a tournament setting, you pivot away from something like that. Even like a guy like Trey Young, 8,200, 
or De, uh, De'Aaron Fox, like 8,800, I would almost rather go with the Fox direction knowing that there's probably going to be a ton of people on that Hawks-Pelicans game. Yeah, Trey Young is going to have ridiculous ownership. I have him in my lineup um, because that was the way it worked out with the salaries, but the argument for Fox is really strong. It's the same argument you would make for Bagley. I mean, you could, yeah. Um, you know, you, you figure everyone's going to be on one game, you kind of pivot to the other. And I think the game will kind of go under the radar a little bit just because the over-under is, is you know, not that high. Yeah, but what is the over-under for? The 226, Mavericks? so it's like... Man, see, I'll take the over on that, I think. Uh, it's going to be the Kings, you know, pacing that one up. Luka Doncic is also questionable. Mm, okay. So, yeah. you know, that could that could affect things. So I think it, that's a game where I feel like you should also keep your eye on things. Oh, I would... I That one's intriguing to me. I think that... Not that... The, I mean, the Kings have done so much better than a lot of people predicted, and that's in large part because of their offense. I'm sorry, their defense, rather. Mm. But I still wonder if that's a situation where both teams can't take advantage and it just ends up being a track meet, so to speak. Like I, I'd feel confident rolling with that, um, in large part, again, to avoid what I imagine will be a lot of people on the Hawks and Pelicans. I don't know if a lot of people are going to be on James Harden at 12,000. Of course, this guy scores 50 points like I eat burgers on a daily basis. Like right. That's, <laughs> that's a, like a once-a-day sort of thing for James Harden and me, except for the 50 points but the burgers thing. Uh, Bradley Beal, though, at 10,000 against the Lakers, that was kind of an intriguing price tag, too. Yeah, I mean this. I I included this in here because it. I think this is the difference between cash and GPPs. If you're going for cash, I could. I'll completely endorse James Harden. If you're trying to win a fifty-fifty, it's you know like he's pretty much a lock for fifty fantasy points. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with upside for more. But in a tournament, Bradley Beal has similar upside. Not to the extent because Hargan could go for like 90 fantasy points. We all know that, but realistic upside of 60, 65 fantasy points, especially when like most of the rockets are healthy, right. you're saving yourself $2,000 in a matchup. That's going to be, uh, basically the same pace. Um, you know, the over under the over under is actually 10 points in favor of, of LA Washington. But I just, this is the difference between GPP and cash. That's why I wanted to highlight this. I would go Beal if I was going GPPs. Longtime listeners will know that Alex just absolutely hates players priced over 8000 and higher. God. So it makes sense that your lineup would only feature one guy over 8000 but then everyone else, except for, I think, what, th- two, three players are in that 7000 range. So, again, 10-game slate. There's a lot of different strategies you can utilize throughout this. Why did you put together this sort of lineup? I wanted to roll with some guys who I thought would have relatively low ownership um, because I think the ownership rates could just be insanely low um, when the slate's so big. And Alinari? is that the kind of like the, that when I'm looking at that, I think Alinari is the first name that comes to mind at 7,600 for that small forward spot. He could, I think his ownership will be lower than it should be because he could get you 40. He has a, he has a really high floor, right? And I feel like he's he's priced really appropriately. He's a guy I could throw in my lineup every day. Um, he's going up against Minnesota at 7,600. My other power forward is Marcus Morris. I, I wanted to treat this Boston game differently because Kyrie is out. So I'm, everyone's pretty much going Rozier. And I don't feel like you're getting value on Rozier. What's his price tag right it's now? Like 63, 60, yeah. higher than that. Somewhere between 63 and 68. Yeah, You'll probably get value on it, but I would rather take i would rather throw the dart on marcus smart and marcus morris i have both in my lineup um 
And Marcus Morrison at 5,500 for the power forward spot. Marcus Smart, 5,100 against the shooting guard spot. You think about the five times the value, you're only asking either one of those guys to get 25 points, whereas a guy like Rozier has to get close to 30, 35 price tag or point for FanDuel. You're right. I think the, the floor is almost set with Rozier's price. Right. And so, and Rozier's ownership is going to be through the roof. Right. And I want some action in this Boston Cleveland game because Rozier, or because Kyrie's out means that the usage is going to get spread around elsewhere i thought about gorgon hayward i think that's also a solid mm-hmm. pivot um but i digress uh my other power forward spot is larry markinen at 7600 he his game his his performances have been really up and down but auto porter's out and markinen plays pretty well when porter's out it's going up against toronto the assumption is that game's a complete blowout we talked about the spread earlier and that game is like 13 and a half yeah um I don't think it matters for Markinen's minutes. I think he could end up playing an entire fourth quarter against like scrubs, more or less, for Toronto. Um, so I don't mind him there. At center, I went JaVale McGee. He's playing really well. The Wizards don't really have much of a front line. Um, he went for over 70 fantasy points the other day, uh, 7,500. I think it's a fair price. I'm, I think other people will be on that, but high over under. Um, I think he's, he's in a good spot. Uh, well, well, I was going to ask ahead. about Buddy Heald. Like, talk me away from that decision because we we already talked about the Mavericks and Kings being a game that at least I want to target when I'm putting the other my DFS lineup as opposed to the Hawks Pelicans game. Is there any reason why I should not go for a guy like Heald who's 7,500 with a lot of other high priced shooting guards available, but not ones that I mean Heald can meet those expectations, may not Harden level expectations, but other guys pretty easily for what seems like a thousand dollars less. The the argument for healed if you if you don't want to play healed it's because you're worried he's going to get 25 fantasy points okay. and um, if you do you're hoping that he'll get 40 to 45 and that his ownership level will be relatively low compared to Chris Middleton who's been playing really well his higher ownership since Brogdon went out um, compared to Lou Williams who I think a lot of people will be on because he's Lou Williams. Um, I also thought about Lou Williams. I'm, I might still pivot off of Heald into Williams. I don't trust Wiggins at all. Um, you know, Fournier maybe is your is your harder pivot option. Um, he's been playing really well lately, but I think I think a ton of people beyond that, even though the over under is low. Um, so I I'm just a Buggy Heald fan. He's a guy who I know could get hot from three. That plays a factor into it. Yeah, guys, you can get hot from three. And guys who get a lot of who have high upside for defense are guys that I like to throw into my lineup. Well, I think that's probably why you end up going with Derek Jones, who's at thirty seven hundred. Obviously, it's your lowest price player, and frankly, the whole reason you're able to make these all these seven thousand plus guys fit into your lineup is you have to have one cheaper play. Is Derek Jones at least right now being what closer to two o'clock Central Time the best of the cheap options out there, or do you think there's going to be better ones by the end of the night? There keep an eye on the injury news because that's that really open things up but when i personally i when i look for this guy i just go at the very bottom of the fan duel salaries and i just scroll up until i find someone that like seems reasonable and i try to stay below four thousand. and i thought Derek jones had the highest upside of anybody in that range um before all the injury news really comes out um his game log is just littered with like 25 22 25 fan duel points um consistently gets you know double digit minutes for the heat can sneak into the 30 minute range if if things break right um and a guy with high steel and block upside in relatively low minutes because he's an insane athlete right 
and can get points in transition. So that always helps. I know there's a lot of other uh, point guards available. I mean, you went with Jamal Murray, which always makes sense. And that's a guy that has the the ceiling of a guy that probably is like 9,000 price, but of the 7,000 point guards, you probably picked him because he was best in your lineup. But is there anybody else you'd consider besides Jamal Moore Murray at that point guard spot? This was really tough, actually. There's a ton of point guards that I like on this slate. I think you can't really go wrong. We talked about Darren Fox earlier. Yeah. Um, Chris Paul could go really under-owned in Milwaukee. That's a guy that I would also think about for trying to pay up a little bit. Um, Kyle Lowry is a guy who I also initially had in my lineup and then moved off of, but he'll probably have insanely low ownership rate obviously you're worried about a blowout but his stock is as low as it's as it's been in recent memory he's always hurt as a weird game um eric bledsoe obviously has upside at 7500 sagaransky tyus jones like rondo rosier i mean that's just going down the list i mean you could pick any of these guys point guard point guard in my opinion was like the hardest choice that i had just from a pure guys i like over six thousand level what was the second position and if point guard was the most difficult what was the second most difficult to put together your lineup and kind of one that you'd want to monitor as we get closer to the tip-off time uh shooting guard also gave me some some frustration um just because i do i'm always beal is there always i'm a huge derozan fan for gpps because he can go off for 60 fantasy points we've mm. seen him do it a yeah. ton of times he never creeps above nine thousand, and he's playing in a game that no one cares about it's spurs versus hornets nobody cares <laughs> So like zero watchability, um, he could just be real sneaky. Lou Williams, we talked about yes. earlier. Um, Evan Fournier has been playing really well as of lately. It also contains Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. Uh, so it's a that's a tough position as well. Would it be fair to say that this would be a very good time to make sure you're following Rotoware on Twitter and maybe Alex underscore MBA Rutha on Twitter so we can find some more DFS action? Would not be a, it's always a good decision always to good do de- those two things. <laughs> it's always a good decision. Tell your friends, your family, everyone. Of course, sign that, up for com- Twitter. that comes from Mr. Google Me himself. Well, that does it for us in the uh, NBA Tuesday edition of the DFS, but also basketball podcast and a little bit of March Madness podcast, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the first 20 minutes, we'll be back again next tuesday to kind of break down more of the action and maybe some uh, potential sleepers in the playoffs because we're getting right around that point of the season but until then best your best luck to your lineups